Welcome to Education Matters presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm your host, Tom Williams. Over and over, we have been hearing from North Carolina teachers saying that they have not been able to reach some of their students during this stay-at-home order, one major reason being the lack of access to broadband. In areas across the state, broadband access is limited, particularly in rural regions, where some students are having to walk to schools or other publicly available Wi-Fi hotspots just to do schoolwork on their devices. Even when broadband is available, other barriers to adoption prevent many of our households from being connected. This equity issue has been exacerbated in the wake of COVID-19 and is leaving some students unable to communicate with their teachers and fellow classmates, unable to complete school assignments, and less able to access digital learning resources as other students staying at home. I'd like to welcome to the show Jeff Searle and Amy Huffman from the Broadband Infrastructure Office of the Department of Information Technology. Thank you both so much, very much for being here. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, Jeff, when you kind of look back to 2015 and where we are in the current status today uh, for broadband availability, accessibility, and adoption throughout North Carolina, how do we compare to other southeastern states in the nation and what kind of trends have you seen? Well, the, the trends are good. Um, we're, we're connecting more households every year to, to broadband, and we define broadband as a minimum of 25 megabits download speed, three megabits upload speeds. What that means in layman's terms is basically a family of four can use several devices, maybe even streaming video uh, and doing email, uh, and maybe someone is working from home. Uh, they, can, they can conduct all of those activities with enough bandwidth uh, to do that. Um, and, uh, and what we've seen, uh, at least since between December of 2016 and December of 2018, and, and the data lags, so, so uh, that's the latest, the, the latest data that we have on this, we've added or increased uh, service to over 82,000 households. In the next 18 months, we have a number of grant programs, including the Great Grant Program, which is a state rural broadband grant program, and uh, several USDA-funded programs that will significantly expand the number of households that receive broadband. In fact, our grant program is funding um, access to over 10,000 households, uh, small businesses, agricultural oper operations, and community anchor institutions in Tier 1 counties. So, so the, the trends are good. Um, and in the southeast, we're usually tied with Florida for number one amongst our neighbors here. And nationally, we, we rank anywhere between, you know, 15 and 19 uh, on the percentage of households that, that have access. Excellent. Thank you. That's great context for us. Um, Amy, would you maybe talk a little bit about uh, the terms access and availability and what are you see as some of the uh, barriers um, for residents here in North Carolina on that? Absolutely. So broadband access is when households have access to the actual pipes and wires that deliver broadband speeds that Jeff defined at 25.3. Um, and that can be delivered over a number of different technology types. So it could be fiber to the home, it could be cable, it could be fixed wireless. And then adoption is when households actually subscribe to that service. So when they purchase a service. On both sides, cost is the major barrier. So for deploying broadband, it's very costly to dig trenches and lay fibers and um, 
operate your networks. And then on the household side, broadband can often be too expensive for them to subscribe to it. There are some other barriers for households as well, like not being feeling comfortable using the internet or computers, not having those digital skills, and also not having a computer. If you don't have a computer in the home, you're unlikely to subscribe to the internet. Nice. Thank you. Um, Jeff, you know, prior to COVID-19, it was common for the educational community to talk about the homework gap. Mm -hmm. And uh, now that we've moved to 100% remote online learning for our students and for delivery of that by our teachers, um, we've really transitioned into a different type of gap. And um, how does this look for our, like for our students and our educators in different parts of the state? Yeah, certainly the, the situation accentuates uh, some of the challenges that we face in the state. And we call it the homework gap. Now it's really the education gap or the school schoolwork gap. Um, and it certainly uh, brings to bear some of the um, inequities you know, in, in the system. If we're going to rely on remote learning in the future, or if we have to rely on remote learning in the future, whether that's because of another COVID uh, response or because of a hurricane or a snowstorm in, in the western part of the state, uh, then certainly we want to make sure that students and teachers have the access to, to the internet uh, and have the devices that they need to conduct their schoolwork. And it only makes sense as we move into the, the 21st century that we're looking at uh, making sure that this is a uh, key piece or a key tool uh, uh, that students have and that they can rely on. Very good. Lamy, I know you all have a lot going on, folks all across the state that you're collaborating with, but can you talk a little bit about specifics of what you all are doing to help bridge the broadband gap and what kind of resources are available for those who want to learn uh, about their options for getting better access to broadband? Sure, so we've, um, North Carolina has been working to close the digital divide since there was a digital divide. Our current efforts really stem back to 2016 though, when we released our, our Connecting North Carolina, our state broadband plan. And that plan offers over 80 recommendations to close the digital divide through different programs, policies, and tools. So our office works to implement those programs. Um, one of them is our great grant program that Jeff talked about earlier. We also have a technical assistance team who is our boots on the ground. They work with communities to create broadband plans and task forces to really address the gaps in their communities. And then we also work on a number of initiatives like um, closing the homework gap and increasing telehealth access. And then we support digital inclusion leaders throughout the state to make sure that they can increase digital equity in their communities. Very good. Excellent. Um, so Jeff, our legislative session starts next week mm -hmm. and the, the complexity and the magnitude of the issues are legislative leaders and our governor and, and departmental leaders are facing is are just immense. Uh, to say the least. What do you uh, hope, expect to see in terms of public policies and priorities that will help meet the critical needs to expand broadband access using all of our available resources? Well, Tom, I had a, a, an opportunity to address the economic support working group of the House Select Committee on COVID-19 response yesterday, and I laid out some of those uh, needs and some of the uh, the things that I think the legislators legislators should be contemplating or thinking about um, in addressing this issue. Um, you know, 
obviously we're going to need some money to help uh, students connect. And so some of the immediate responses that we've been working on um, with some of our partner providers like AT&T and some of the other smaller cooperatives across the, the state are, are wireless connections. So either hotspots that folks can have inside their homes or bus on Wi-Fi uh, so the buses can go and, and either when they're delivering food uh, or going and parking maybe in a grocery store that students can come to the bus and access um, the internet there. It's not a perfect solution. It's not near a perfect solution, and we, we don't, but it is a Band-Aid and something that we're gonna have to rely on um, during, uh, during the next, for the next few weeks until we get to a more permanent solution. Um, you know, the governor's, uh, uh, in his last budget, uh, proposed $5 million uh, for equipment for students to, to connect to the internet. Um, and so we see and, and reiterated that uh, that request yesterday, we see that as critically important. Uh, so some type of funding, we also want to see some advocacy at the federal level. So with our federal representatives and any of the stimulus packages that are coming down to make sure that there's some money uh, set aside to enhance uh, you know, broadband deployment throughout our state. So that there's a direct investment there. Um, we do have the Rural Broadband Grant Program, as I mentioned, so a more permanent solution is to make sure that all of these households that don't have access now at least have access. They have the, either the wire or the wireless signal going to their home. And to do that, uh, frankly, we're going to need money. Um, it is, as Amy mentioned, the deployment of broadband, the construction of it, is, uh, is fairly expensive. And so in areas where market forces aren't working, meaning we don't have the population density to sustain a business plan for some of these smaller internet service providers, then there's gonna to have to be some uh, government investment. And our rural broadband program does just that. So we asked uh, that the General Assembly consider uh, increasing our funding there to $135 million. And uh, we're also looking at leveraging several federal funding programs that will be available uh, later this year through the USDA and the Federal Communications Commission. So um, there are some other policy uh, recommendations that we had uh, and, and wanted to make sure that there might be a consideration for some tax credits to internet service providers that accept federal subsidies through the Lifeline program. That would help um, low-income families uh, because that would help subsidize their cost to, to on their internet service bill. Thank you so much. And let me say both to you, uh, Jeff and Amy, um, a lot of your work is behind the curtain, but it is evident every day across North Carolina of the viable uh, options that you're providing through your leadership to increase the economic and the educational and the civic engagement of our, stu our students as well as our residents. We're very grateful to both of you for being here today. Thank you very much and please stay healthy, stay well. After a brief commercial break, we'll be back to meet and visit with Dr. Mark Sandberg from the Friday Institute. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Town Bank, serving others, enriching lives. Welcome back to Education Matters. Joining us now is Dr. Mark Sandberg, Director of Technology Programs at the Friday Institute for Educational Innovation 
at NC State University. Thank you so much, Dr. Sandberg, for joining us today. Thank you. So from your view, how are families and schools faring across North Carolina at this time when it comes to connectivity and remote learning? So we're about a month into remote learning, and I think all of us have been trying to find our new normal through this as we've moved into it. Uh, specifically with respect to connectivity, a lot of the workarounds that we've been telling families that they could, could use, they don't, just don't work anymore. Students can't just go to Starbucks to use the internet. Uh, even when we started, we were recommending that schools could have students go to the library or to McDonald's or Bojangles. Even in rural areas, those places had the internet access that they could provide it to students. Uh, we didn't anticipate the, the scale of the closures that we've ended up seeing, and these were the traditional band-aids, and they're just not viable anymore. Schools have done the really, really hard work, the really intense work of trying to figure out how to serve all students. The risk here, when some students have internet and some students don't, is we end up creating this schooling model where you have two versions of school, one for students with internet and one for students with without. And, and we have to accept the fact that these are not new challenges. Uh, students who've been underserved as a result of the lack of internet access are students who've been traditionally long underserved and students who have struggled the most in the past. However, uh, students who don't have internet access now could have received a worksheet packet or minimal instruction where, while students who have internet were receiving much more robust instruction and I think schools have had to really think hard about how to avoid that and provide high quality instruction for all. Uh, students with internet access have access to all this knowledge in the world. They can see videos and audio. They can see and meet with experts and speak to experts and none of that is available to students without access to the internet. So schools have had to navigate around the problem leveraging the tools that students have to create these high quality learning experiences. Uh, in addition, students and teachers have had to really quick pivot. So March 13th to March 14th, they've had to learn how to teach online, leverage these new tools. Uh, for teachers who are currently teaching remotely in, in a virtual school or in a college, it starts with that real desire to teach online, years of practice and training. And we've asked teachers to do it in a day or two. And teaching online is very different. You have to plan instruction differently. You have to prepare your materials differently. Students need different kinds of supports. Everything from time to the formats will be a little bit different. Highlight what you know about what percentage of students across the state have access to the internet and devices in their home and um, progress that's been made in that area. And then also kind of how schools are working to reach these students while the school buildings are closed and any suggestions you might have. So we know that 300,000 students in North Carolina, based on our best data, uh, don't have access to internet at home. That's somewhere between 15 and 20% of all of the students in North Carolina public schools do not have internet access at home. Of that number, about 75,000 can't get internet because of, of where they live. They, the providers don't service that area. So um, they can't get the internet access regardless of their economic circumstances. For the remainder of those students, they don't have internet because either they can't afford it or the family chooses not to subscribe. Um, of the families who do have internet access, some of them will have access that isn't sufficient for working from home. When you have potentially multiple school-aged children plus, family, plus parents all trying to work online, uh, the internet connection may not be sufficient for that. And while some families may have access to a cellular connection, 
the data caps and the fact that it's a cell phone may make it unrealistic for students to do remote learning on those devices. Uh, with respect to devices, we have a, a trickier question to answer. Uh, we know most people have cell phones, but is a cell phone uh, realistic for learning? Does it provide those material? Does it provide the access that a student's need? Um, so we know that, that some families are sharing devices and we know that uh, there are, is a large broadband gap of, of families who don't have access to the internet or a device of both families and also staff. There, there are several thousand teachers in North Carolina who also don't have access to internet access at home. Now, with regard to student support, um, teachers have been uh, doing lots of different things. So some schools were already providing cellular hotspots to students who needed them, and were using Wi-Fi and school buses and parking those buses in areas where, where there was internet access needed. Uh, those tools have continued to be used. Uh, the FCC is also allowing schools that receive federal subsidies to open up their parking lots for access, and a small number of districts in the state are doing that, where it's safe to do that and where social distancing can be maintained. Um, also, there's been funding flexibility opened up for schools. So there's some uh, funding flexibility and there's some disaster relief funds. So schools have been working on purchasing large numbers of laptops and mobile hotspots for students and staff to use. It doesn't alleviate the problem, but it does minimize it as much as possible. Um, however, right now, the increased demand combined with constraints in the supply chain mean that schools' orders are being delayed, right? There aren't enough computers and there aren't enough hotspots to serve everyone who needs them. So some of these orders are slipping out into May and June for receiving these devices. Uh, and also, all of the hotspots in the world aren't going to help us in areas that aren't covered by, by cellular service. So teachers and schools have been moving to more analog methods. So in cases where video conferencing tools are used, students can call in on the telephone and teachers have been reaching out by phone. Schools have been making packets available with resources at lunch distribution sites and sending buses around to collect and distribute work. They've been using postal mail and setting drop boxes off at schools. I know in some states, the schools are keeping their libraries open where they can maintain social distancing and sanitation. I don't know if that's happening in North Carolina right now. I, mm -hmm. I also know UNC TV has been a really good partner in aligning their content to standards and creating some original content. We've got about a minute remaining. So what I think I'm gonna ask you to do is maybe uh, talk about some immediate steps that can or should be taken by districts and our state policymakers uh, around some immediate steps and long-term steps. And uh, any thoughts you have about us transitioning back into school and things we should be thinking through? So transitioning to school is going to be difficult um, for students because they're all going to have experienced this diff differently. And every student is going to have to learn a little bit differently. And this is not going to be the last time we're going to have to do this, right? It's the third year in a row that part of our state has experienced a major disruption to their school year. So I think we'll be seeing more remote learning plans and more thoughts about remote learning. I, I think in the long term, um, we're going to have to figure out how to address some of these issues of connectivity holistically, right, between, between education and workforce, how we can get more internet access out into more communities. Yeah. It's been delightful having you on, and we appreciate the insights that you uh, are, have brought to us and your connectivity, uh, pardon the pun, with people in the schools and the work that's being done. We'll look forward to having you back 
uh, in the future. So thank you for being with us. Thank you. After the break, this week's final word. In times of crisis, our society sees its most glaring vulnerabilities rise to the surface for more people to see and experience firsthand. Likewise, and most fortunately, these crises also bring to the forefront the resilience and strengths of our society and stimulate innovation and collaboration among all in our communities. COVID-19 is such a crisis and our state and nation are seeing how this dreadful new disease is causing havoc comparable to a natural disaster or even a war. Our health systems, businesses, economies, public services, and our everyday way of life have been drastically altered in a fashion most of us have never experienced. We have a lot that needs to be done on what will be a demanding road back to full recovery. Fortunately, while our state and local leaders work tirelessly to mitigate the immediate and long-term harm, they also proactively looking to what can be done now that will make us a better state as we move on to the other side of this pandemic. With our statewide K through 12 schools, community college and universities closed for traditional learning, our move to remote or online learning has put on public display one of our state's most egregious vulnerabilities, the need for expanded availability and access to broadband connectivity for all. In addition to broadband, just like most of us as working adults, Remote learning requires our K through 12 students to have access to an appropriate device that affords them the capacity to fully participate in meeting the academic requirements to stay on track. While many parents are able to provide these new basic learning tools, creative problem solving and school partnerships are necessary to address the home broadband access and device gap one student at a time. In many cases, students are learning at home using their school issued device due to the investments made in one-to-one -one device initiatives or by distributing devices to students who do not have one at home. As the broadband gap has become more consequential than ever before, we've seen a growing number of innovative strategies in local communities to ease the barrier caused by no home access to broadband, either due to no available providers or lack of household income to purchase this essential service. In addition to 1,000 hotspot devices being issued to students by schools and community partners to connect via cell towers, county government, school, businesses, churches, and other community parking lots are providing Wi-Fi hotspots, allowing learning to continue, as well as the essential virtual face-to-face -face meeting with their teachers and classmates. The great news is over the past few decades, the data clearly illustrates North Carolina's track record of progress made by our elected state and local leaders and the public institutions governed by them in advancing broadband access and availability. North Carolina should rightfully be proud to be recognized as a leader in the Southeast, as well as across the nation, for investing in an effective broadband strategy and the essential role it plays in the economic, educational, workforce development, cultural, and civic engagement for a better post-COVID-19 North Carolina. Our progress is to be applauded. However, let's commit as a state to work together in achieving a common goal 
to assure that the broadband access and availability gap is not just reduced, but eliminated in the near future. In the current era, access to the internet should be regarded as an essential public utility, much like quality highways, water and sewer, and cell phone access that should be available to all. North Carolina can do this and must do this. Our students, businesses, and citizens are counting on it. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.